0: We are joyful and we know it clap your hands we are joyful and we know it clap your hands we are joyful and we know it and your face had better show it we are joyful and we know it clap your hands yes because that's what craig read rejoice always we are joyful and we know it right i mean philippians 4 4 through 5 rejoice in the lord always and I will say it again: Rejoice." You sort of wonder what the inflection was, as this was written. I mean, it's a letter, so there's not really inflection to it. Uh, and, and it says in other places as well, when same guy wrote to the church in Thessalonica, this is First Thessalonians 5:16, it says, "Be joyful, always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances." For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it's kind of the same thing. Rejoice always. Now, maybe I'm a little bit too Amelia Bedelia here. Any fans of Amelia Bedelia? yes if your hand is not up right now you just point at yourself right now and say i'm going to the library and i'm going to go find some amelia bedelia you can even google it here i googled like what are the the 10 best things that amelia bedelia ever asked people to do here's two of them uh she's one that just would take anything literally and totally misunderstand it like when asked to make a cheesecake she carved and decorated blocks of cheese so that they looked like cakes Make cheesecake. Get it? Huh? Yeah. Uh, Or remove these spots from the dress because she was like a a helper at at home. Remove these spots from this dress, so she would get out of scissors and cut out all of the stained spots on the dress. So now it's got holes everywhere, and there's no more spots on it. We laugh and make fun of and laugh at Amelia Bedelia, but words can be hard, and not everything is always apparent whether it's trying to live out, rejoice always, or be joyful always, it's actually not that hard to mess it up. And, and if you think you've got it, like I've been to church before, I've heard these passages before, I think I've got it, I want you to imagine yourself explaining it to a 7 year old who's in your Sunday school class, and you're the teacher there by yourself. And this seven-year-old is trying to make sense of the world as they hear it. And you've told them, you can trust God's word. And this is what it says, rejoice always, be joyful always. And so the interchange goes something like this. Hey, uh, teacher, I get sad sometimes. Is that wrong since I'm supposed to rejoice always? Well, no, but I'm not rejoicing. When I'm sad, I'm not joyful, true. So does God not really mean always when his word says always? No, no, he does. Because you said that God will always forgive me when I confess my sins. And I think it said God always will be with me. At this point, you're going like, snobby kid, you're listening. (laughs) Yes, it does. Well, does that always have exceptions? no. Or, or maybe the kid goes, uh, I've tried to rejoice always. Like They come back the next week. I've tried to rejoice always over the course of the week, but I want to do other things too. And, and I forget about rejoicing. And then I realize I wasn't rejoicing and I was so mad at myself. And, and what am I doing wrong? Is this even possible to rejoice always? Teacher, how do you do it? Ooh. Are, are you getting better at it? How do you improve at rejoicing always? And at this point, you offer the child a sucker and try to distract them on something else for a while because they're asking questions. You're like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, this is getting, this seemed really simple and straightforward and quickly became complicated and nuanced. But God really did inspire Paul to write in this letter to the Thessalonians, be joyful always. Always. And in the letter to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And if we start trying to say that always doesn't always mean always, then it undermines all the other always promises, like I am with you always. So today, as we start this two-week series called Gratitude, we're going to take this on. Not just so that we can answer the hypothetical questions of the seven-year-old But also for our own well being. Maybe you've been at this for a long time, heard these words uh, a million times before, but have you really tried to put always into play? And there's value here as well as you consider the new to faith friends that one day will be maybe Amelia Bedillian these very passages, hearing them for the very first time, uh, trusting that as a 35-year-old or as a 55-year-old or as an 85-year-old, you're saying these things are true. So uh, how is this one true? Because after all, the harvest is already ready for you, that there are people that God has prepared for you, and they might be 35, 55, or 85, or five. But there's ones that he's prepared for you to welcome into the kingdom of God, to walk with them on their first steps and many steps from there as they learn to be a follower of Jesus. And they learn from you who are ahead of them on the journey. And being able to answer these kinds of questions will not only help them establish establish a firm foundation in understanding and living in this faith, but it will also help you walk more fully in the abundant life of Jesus that we believe God has given us to live as everyday people, every day. So, Philippians 4. I encourage you to pull out the Bible that you brought along with you today. If you don't have yours with you, bring it next week. Uh, but uh, there is a Bible in the pew for you. You can pull out a digital version if you've got that as well. Uh, Have a pencil nearby, there'll be something to to underline if you've got your own version with you or you can highlight uh, on your digital version of that. But Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4 is where we're going for today. Usually we go straight to context, but today I want to make sure that we hear the text first before we go back into the context. So we're starting there at Philippians 4 verse 4 rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near now number one observation to make here it doesn't say rejoice always like we boil it down to that but we got to be careful how we summarize scripture because we might understand what's not actually there it doesn't say rejoice always period uh It doesn't say what would fit on a bumper sticker. It doesn't say what maybe you can buy a piece of art to go on the wall to remind you of faith-related kinds of things. It's it's more than just what we can summarize in a hashtag. It actually says, rejoice in the Lord always. So if there's a place to underline, to highlight, to, to put a star next to, it's those three words, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And right after it, at the end of the next verse, it says, the Lord is near. So twice in these two verses it says rejoice, but also twice in these two verses it says in the Lord, and the Lord is near. This is the key piece. Easily overlooked, but it forms the foundation of gratitude, which is then expressed in rejoicing. Now, I love it when a secular researchers get a chance to discover and confirm things that Scripture already says is true or to be able to uh, dig into a bit more why it's so valuable. We're told to do this. God encourages us in multiple places to, to rejoice and to be thankful always and all that. Well, there's researchers at UC Berkeley, uh, Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough, Uh, who explored gratitude and the value that comes from it purely from a secular, uh, sociological perspective. Uh, But I think their definition of gratitude is helpful. Uh, It's a two-step process. Number one, it's recognizing that one has obtained a positive outcome. And number two, recognizing that there is an external source for this positive outcome. So, there's no gratitude, thus no rejoicing without external sourcing. That's worth writing down. No rejoicing without external sourcing. Secular researchers describing what God says is true. It's beautiful. Uh, For those of you that are still wondering about the other text, be joyful always, it doesn't say be joyful in the Lord always. It says just be joyful always, period, end of the verse. This, too, is sourced in God. If you look in the greater context, the beginning of that chapter uh, frames it as, look, God has chosen you, who I'm now encouraging to be joyful always. In the context just before it, it describes them to be sons of the light rather than the darkness, as in God has brought you into the light into his family. And what immediately follows, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, is do not put out the Spirit's fire. So there's an acknowledgement of a God that is at work in you if those things before it are happening. In either case, there is a source in you because God chose you so both of these rejoicing uh, find their basis in external sourcing. And this command, yeah, it's, it is a command. He's not just saying like, hey, if you want to. No, rejoice in the Lord always, directive. Get, this gets even richer when you understand the context and where Paul is sitting when he writes it. Does anybody know where, where he was sitting? Raise your hand if you know. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where was he? He was in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in jail, writing this, living this. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive, and yet is saying, rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, if you want to flip a couple of pages back, or scroll a couple pages back, uh, in Philippians 1, after his introduction, verse 12, he already reports about how God has been at work. He's got this lens of a God at work in everything. In verses 12 and 13, he says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's been looking for this. And as a result, it has become clear, verse 13, throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. He can see God at work already, and he continues to be hopeful, even though he doesn't really think he's gonna make it out alive but he's expectant that God will provide. Verses 18 through 20, so pop down to that. Uh, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, we see that Spirit in there. And he says this, this is great. I eagerly expect and hope That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's living the always that he exhorts at the end of the letter. That's what it looked like for Paul in prison. But what does it look like, sound like, does or does not go in the mind of one who is? rejoicing in the lord always for us today that's where i, I want to go and spend our time for the majority of our time this morning and let me just say to start out with uh it is not perpetual smiling it is not we are happy and we know it so tough it out and show it it's like that's not how it works it's not a i'm fine joyful i'm too blessed to complain i love that one didn't you just complain when you said you were anyways uh <laughs> It's not denial of emotions or the stuffing of my feelings, which I think in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, at least in the tradition that, that I grew up in. I've been a Lutheran my, my entire life. Uh, and in this faith tradition, we are strong in knowledge and doctrine. And often that also comes along with distrusting emotions, and feelings. And I think it's out of a fear that that they'll replace or they'll undermine good teachings if given too much thought or too much credibility. And on top of that, living here in West Michigan, if you've got a Dutch heritage or a German heritage in your household, then or whether you, whatever stoic family traditions you may have come from, then you're even more inclined to this leaning to just stuff down whatever bubbles up so hear me this isn't giving us license to stuff our feelings or emotions in order to say rejoice in the lord always or say i rejoice in the lord always i don't feel sad ever uh no that's not what it's saying it isn't telling you that you might be able to blame your grandma or your grandpa or your mom or dad for that but you can't blame jesus for this one In fact, from the very mouth of Jesus, we're encouraged to more than just rejoicing. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, Paul is led to write in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You're supposed to do both. Beloved, uh, this is 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you get to rejoice now while you're being persecuted, while you're suffering for your faith, while you're struggling through to be patient in that situation at work and to show the fruit of the spirit instead of giving them what you want to give them whether that's suffering in those uh, kinds of ways or suffering for uh, being persecuted for your faith there is a rejoicing that happens in the midst of the suffering now and there's a rejoicing that one day will be when all suffering is gone it's a both and so there's a way in which you can rejoice always Even while we mourn, because he does say rejoice always, but he also tells us to weep. He tells us to mourn, so these things actually can coincide. But the rejoicing is not in circumstances, not in the results. We don't hear Paul saying, "Boy, I'm so thankful I'm in prison because God's at work in it." No, I'm unhappy that I'm in prison and the gospel is being restrained, but at the same time, I'm thankful. For how God is at work in it. They're different. We're not gonna call a bad thing good because God's bringing good from it. The bad thing's still bad, but the good is still good and worth rejoicing. We rejoice not in what we already know or in the certainty of how we know things might turn out, but rather in the midst of those circumstances, whether there's not enough information, whether the results are uncertain or scary even when we know the results are bad, when when that person gets the news you're now in hospice, they know the end is coming. When the decline of health of a loved one is clear, they're not coming up from this. When the crumbling of a relationship is falling apart in your hands and there's nothing you can do about it. When a financial hardship has come and You're at the mercy of God. We still rejoice in the Lord always. Not in those circumstances, but in the Lord who's with us in the circumstances. If I I had to put it just real simply, rejoicing in the Lord is rejoicing that you are in the Lord's family and that you are in the army of the Lord's workers. You're rejoicing in the Lord, that you're rejoicing that you are in the Lord's family and that you are among those that he's working through in this world, and these things will not change. It's, it's a both-and kind of thing. It's what I often tell families as we sit in the room just over there before we come into here for a funeral, when it's their loved one. I tell them, my, my prayer for you is that as you go in there and as you face loss that is real and your grief is real, like that you won't need to try for that, But here's what we're going to aim for. That the God who is with you, that his promises, his presence, and his power, that you would trust and be aware of that they are just as real as your grief. And in this way, I can at the same time mourn and rejoice. I can at the same time be burdened and have my burdens lifted. There can be both weeping and and rejoicing as we hold on to both of these things being true. I think in in the waters of baptism is a great place to help us hold on to this. You've been welcomed into God's I love you no matter what there. Rejoicing in the Lord looks like rejoicing in that relationship, for there's nothing you can do that can undo his I love you no matter what, always. His I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. It's, it's something that, that happens by the Holy Spirit at work in you. It's a gift given in baptism. It's something, someone who is at work in you, a gift that, that Jesus, after he died and rose again and ascended into heaven so that he could rule over all this, then he sent the Holy Spirit so that he could remind you of the things that Jesus has said and teach them to you. Rejoicing in the Lord looks like, then turning to him in prayer in the midst of this. Take a look at those verses in Philippians again. Let's go on to verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus See, you not only get to, but are welcomed to present your requests to God, a God who is near, a God who is with you. You get to rejoice in the Lord who is with you, who listens to you and responds to every single request. Now, for those of us that have been followers of Jesus for quite some time, that's like, oh, yeah, I've always known this. This is kind of no big deal, but think about it for a sec. I can't even get, like, the customer service person for the internet company on the phone if I don't spend 45 minutes on hold. Like, and they're supposed to be there to talk to me and listen to things, much less somebody of greater importance uh, in the, the course of our nation, like getting a hold of my senator or the president or a four-star general that's making some big decisions out there. But I do get the creator of the universe, the most loving being ever, the wisest and most accomplished in existence to hear every request I've got. And respond to them. And provide to me. Because he's got the capacity to do it. And he doesn't do it to impress anyone. It's not because he has to fulfill his job. or It's just because he's a good father. And he did it at a horrific cost. The price of his own son's life. Suffering subjection to struggle beyond struggle. To loneliness. To angst that made him sweat blood. To a beating. To suffocation. To death. For us. And it provides the most amazing gift the promise of his power at work now, and that one day he will use that power to not just make some things better, but all things new. And why? Just because he wanted to. Rejoice in the Lord always is not a command to manufacture joy through our own efforts, but an encouragement to trust in God's goodness and His sovereignty. And by that, I mean His ability to work all things out for our good, even in the face of challenges. Uh, there's a devotion that I, I read in preparation for this on Philippians 4, and it said this, uh, if a believer is consumed With the same negative thoughts that the unbeliever dwells on, they will suffer the exact same anxiety that afflicts the unsaved. So what tracks is my mind going in? Am I rejoicing? Am I considering being in the Lord uh, always, and a Lord that is near, and, and putting my requests before Him? Or do I run my mind through the same uh, habits and thought patterns of someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Worth considering. And know this, if I'm going to answer the the questions of the seven-year-old or the the new follower to faith or to you that are newly hearing this, I'd want you to know it's a process that you're going to grow into this. Unwavering joy, uh, rejoicing always will come with a relationship with God that matures over time. Two, I'd say it it is a process that requires reflection and thus space for it. So the things of Sabbath and simplicity and silence and slowing that create attentional times of reflection are what become the seedbed for gratitude, for awareness of these things that can lead to understanding again how I'm in the Lord so I can rejoice in the Lord in the midst of all those other things. And it's a process that's going to go way better in community. When we have people alongside of us reminding us of what's also true, because it's so easy to put our blinders on and to just see what's straight in front of us. There's a a picture I want to show you I got a chance to go deer hunting uh, this week. Can we move that? Oh, I got to turn it on. That matters. There we go. Can't see it well. Maybe over here. So this is the picture out of uh, one side of the blind. The view is... Quite limited, focused, just, just above the line, just looking at the trees, uh, focused on, on on what I need to see, where the deer are coming out, making sure that I am attentive to all the shadows and all those things. Uh, and it was this, uh, you know, if I had a chair that was a little bit lower, I didn't really think this through before I sat down in the blinds to te- test this out, but my head was probably a little too high. So I just had to like slouch a bit to be able to, to be able to make that go. My my chair was too high to be able to see well, but it allowed me to be just focused on the things that are there. But I found that when I did, when I slouched down a little bit more, or even got down on my knees, when I was willing to humble myself, if you will, to get a little bit lower, to not just be focused on the thing that needs to get done, that I need to get done, but instead in all that God is accomplishing, then I could see quite a bit more. As the sun rose, as the stars and the planets were still uh, interacting together in the sky and the majesty of the morning kind of just slowly appeared, it reminded me there's a lot more to see. If we're going to rejoice in the Lord always, I think we need to regularly be asking ourselves and one another this question, and this is probably worth writing down what's in view? what's in your view? What are you paying attention to? Because when I get a little lower, when I get off my high horse, when I get not just focused on the things that that I've got to get done, and I try to take in the rest of what's out there, the Lord has a way of reminding me of him who's at work in it all, the bigger picture that I'm a part of, a God that's powerfully working out the the moving of the stars and the planetary motion so that that all the things can work together for our good. And with that in view, it reminds me of a Lord who is near, who is ready to hear. So I can't help but be joyful and we know it. Clap, well, I'll leave the clapping up to you but we won't rejoice in the Lord unless we regularly have a view of Him, of His fatherly, I love you no matter what, and I love you too much to leave you there. Relish in that relationship regularly. And we can help each other increasingly rejoice in the Lord. I don't think that rejoice in the Lord always is probably going to happen on this side of eternity, but we can grow into that more and more. And one day, It's all that we'll do around the throne of Jesus Christ, rejoicing in all that He's done and all that He is for us now and forever. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.